welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church, and my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click on new. Fill out that short form online for us, and as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Now, we're in our second week of a series of talks called Christmas Cards, and we're unpacking the Christmas story. Now, if you didn't catch last week's talk on Mary, I want you to go back, and we're all done here, okay? and give it a lesson. I think you'll view Mary in a different light, certainly, right? But you'll have great admiration and respect for her. Our big takeaway was that, hey, her story centers on trusting in God. So do you trust God with your life or not? That's like Mary. That's a vitally important question you and I have to answer, not just once, but all throughout our lives. Now, Mary isn't the only prominent figure in the Christmas story. There's another figure who's probably the least understood in your nativity set. And uh, your son at home really is incomplete without him. And of course, we're going to jump into the life here today of Joseph. So there's not a lot about Joseph in the Bible. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed that or not, but we know very little about him. Outside of the Christmas story, which is found in Matthew and Luke, we only hear about Joseph one other time, and that's when Jesus is 12 years old and he's teaching priests and scholars in the temple in Jerusalem. And yet, Joseph is one of the most courageous men you'll ever encounter in the Bible. He didn't kill giants, he didn't defy emperors, he wasn't a great, you know, war hero. So, what made Joseph so courageous? Well, that's what I want to show you today. But to do that, we're going to have to do a little cultural digging. It's going to be a little bit different kind of talk here today. So your Bible was written in the first century, okay? And so most of the cultural issues and norms, they kind of go without saying. So the authors of these books and the letters rightly assume their readers would know the basic cultural norms and laws of the day. There's a little problem we have, okay? We're, we're living in the West and it's the 21st century. So, you know, when you have figures and stories which are touched on, but relatively little is known about them in Scripture, sometimes you have to dig into ancient historical text to get a really good feel for what, you know, they were going through and facing. And in Joseph's case, we have to do that to get an idea of what he was facing and the world that he was living in, because that really shapes his decision to obey God. And as we'll see in our text later today, I think it leads to a greater appreciation for who Joseph is too. So Joseph is prominently featured in Matthew's account of the Christmas story. He pops up a little bit in Luke, but Matthew's where you read most of uh, Joseph. If you're watching or listening right now for the first time, the life of Christ is told through four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're separate, um, and they include similar but different accounts in the life of Christ. Just think of them as, you know, puzzle pieces that together form the big picture of who, who Jesus was and what he did. The Christmas story is basically split between Matthew and Luke. Luke's going to focus on Mary and the shepherds, but Matthew will focus a lot on Joseph and the wise men. His story starts like this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Let's stop here for a little while. 
Joseph is in a really difficult spot. Now we touched on some of this last week into a, just to get a good understanding of Joseph and what he's dealing with, we have to do a little bit of overlap. So if you joined us last week, just to spare with me for a second. Mary is between ages 14 and 16 years old, but Joseph, well, he's between 20 and 50. It's a crazy gap, I know. But remember, this is ancient history, right? We're talking about a timeline between 6 and 4 BC. So we know that Joseph is a carpenter. We know that because Jesus is referenced as the carpenter's son in Matthew 13:55. That doesn't mean that Joseph built tables and framed houses, though. That, that, the word used for carpenter in the Greek language that your New Testament was written in, it actually refers to a kind of jack-of-all-trades person. So Joseph would have done anything to make a living. Um, he would have built things for sure, right, like a carpenter. But he also would have been a field hand on farms. Maybe he did some fishing or stonework. He could have thatched roofs. There were all kinds of things Joseph would have done to, to provide for his family. So think of Joseph as a tough, blue-collar worker doing whatever it took to provide for his family. Now, that also meant that in his day, he was probably poor as well, okay? Matthew tells us that he was engaged to Mary. Now, our engagements today are a lot of fun, right? Like we plan the moment, we design the events surrounding it. How many of you guys remember what it was like to get married and, and what it was like to get engaged, right? Like I remember planning how I would ask Shana to marry me. It was Christmas time, uh, which was fitting because we actually started dating around the holidays, okay? And I had a scavenger hunt set up all throughout Greenville uh, where we were living at the time. And so each clue led her to a place where one of our friends or family members were at and uh, they, would, they would give her the next clue as to what we were going to do at that location and then where we would happen to go next. And everything ended at Falls Park downtown with family and friends watching above us from the bridge because it was 12 years ago when downtown Greenville wasn't nearly as crowded and popular as it is now. Uh, it was fun. It was romantic. It was memorable. It was great. It was nothing like Joseph and Mary's engagement. Uh, their engagement was actually a contract, and Mary got little, if any, say in it. Joseph would have had to bring a, a bridal price to Mary's parents, and the price was typically negotiable, but it was almost always set by the girl's father, and they weren't cheap. So Joseph would have had to work long and hard to pay for it. If the price was agreed to by both parties, the engagement happens, okay? And so once they're engaged, the couple would have almost no price. So if they were left alone together for longer than like 20 minutes, it was assumed they lost control of their sexual passions and went crazy. So because there was no privacy in that day, uh, can you imagine how little the bride and groom actually knew each other, right? How would you like that for your engagement process? Takes the, takes the romance just to ride out of it, doesn't it? And that's Mary and Joseph's world. He's paid a lot for her. They're never alone. They probably don't know each other very well. And then Luke tells us that Mary went to visit her cousin, who was also pregnant, a few days later after an angel tells her that she'll give birth to Jesus, and she stays with Elizabeth, not for one day or one week, but three months. So what do you think went through Joseph's mind when she got back? You know, hey, Joe, I got a little baby bump going on here, but it's not what you think. There's this angel. <laughs> like, you think Joseph buys that or do you think he's crushed? You know, he's worked hard. He's saved for the bridal price. He's prepared a place for them to live. And for what? Oh, I wonder if he felt betrayed. Right? Like we know that he felt she was unfaithful because he wants to end the engagement and he wants to do it in secret. Now, why is that? Why would he want to do it in secret and, and try to hide the fact that he was engaged to begin with? Well, in our world, we would say, well, no brainer, right? Like Joseph doesn't want to go through the embarrassment and to avoid all of that, which might be true to a certain degree, but there's a lot more to it. Now, here is where 
we have to get into what their world was like and have a better idea of what Mary and Joseph were facing and how they probably felt. Because Matthew's not going to explain to his readers what their world is like, right? Because his readers are already living in it. But for us, 2,000 years later into the future, we have no clue unless we do some digging. So today's talk is a little bit different, as I said uh, earlier, because I want to, you know, go that route. I think it's going to challenge you. I think you'll walk away not only relating to Joseph more, but also seeing him in a different perspective as well. So here in America, we see everything through a guilty, not guilty paradigm. So when you feel guilty, you ask for an apology, right? You're forgiven, you move on. My guilt doesn't get passed down to my kids. My guilt stays in me because I did whatever it was that was wrong. But in Eastern cultures, it's a different paradigm. They see everything through a shame-honor paradigm, and you can't get rid of shame. It follows the couple generations that are after you until someone does something honorable to change it. No matter what you do to try to make amends, with you know, shame and dishonor, once they're attached to you, they don't leave. And that can lead you to losing out on things like jobs or being kicked out of your village or even having your own family disown you, which is a huge deal in those cultural contexts. So one of the favorite accusations the Pharisees are going to throw at Christ during his public ministry, by the way, is that he's an illegitimate son, right? They're saying, hey, you're tainted with shame from birth, in other words. So if you're, you know, from or familiar with Eastern cultures and contexts, you understand what I'm saying, and you, know, you have an idea of, of what that paradigm is all about, because you kind of live through it. So Joseph knows if it doesn't break this engagement, the ultimate shame, it falls on him. It falls on Mary, on Jesus, on every kid and grandkid who's born hereafter. His life is completely over, so he doesn't have much of a choice, right? In fact, even the Roman law demanded he break the engagement, because as far as the Romans are concerned, a man who refuses to divorce a spouse, or in this case, break the engagement, uh, he was going to be treated as, a, as like a pimp who's prostituting his wife. That's how the Roman government would have viewed Joseph. So the only way for Joseph to be absolved from any shame from the Jewish community and to avoid being viewed by the Roman government as some kind of panderer who's exploiting his wife would be to take Mary to court and divorce her in public. And that would place all the shame on Mary and her family and would leave him out of it. So for Mary, that would mean she probably is never going to get married. Because in that time period, men don't take single mothers with kids out of wedlock as wives. It is, that doesn't happen. And in first century Israel, if you're a single mom trying to make it on your own, <laughs> good, good luck, right? It would also let Joseph recover the bridal price that he had to pay for Mary. So there was no other way for him to get that back without going to court and being very public about everything. Plus, if there's an execution, because, you know, infidelity, he'd throw the first stone. So nobody is going to blame Joseph for doing what he, you know, he, he should have done. But Joseph has a character trait that's very scarce in our world. He has integrity. And he decides not to take Mary to court at all. Not to bring shame in her family or forfeit the bridal price he worked so hard for. In fact, I want you to know this was completely unheard of in his day. No one behaved like this. And it caught God's attention that he treated Mary in this honorable fashion. So look at verse number 20. As he considered this, this is breaking the engagement in secret, okay? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. 
All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took Mary as his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Well, this changes the game just a little bit, right? You know, Joseph finally came to terms with what needed to be done in a very honorable way, but now God throws a curveball and he's faced with a decision to obey God or not. So Mary had the choice to trust God. We talked about that last week. But we see Joseph is facing a little different decision here. His decision is, am I going to obey God? We just talked about what it would mean for him to keep Mary on as his wife, right? So if Joseph obeys God, his honor is toast. Shame's brought on his family. He knows what it means that there's going to be a difficult life ahead for them, but he can't shake this truth. Mary was right. You know, the baby going to be born is actually the son of God. This really is God's doing. Now, does he make the decision to obey God knowing it's going to cost him, knowing the road ahead is going to be hard and difficult? Or does he choose the more appealing, more comfortable route and live with this knowledge that he deliberately disobeyed God for the rest of his life? And, and we know what he chooses, right? Because we have the, the, the sets. We know he chooses to obey God. But at great cost, though, he chooses to embrace shame. He chooses to embrace a tarnished name the moment he chooses to obey God. He knows what's going to happen. He knows people are going to view him and treat him and his family uh, in, in a very negative light. He knows the difficulty which lies ahead for them. Uh, you know, but I think Joseph understood. He couldn't bring himself to a place where he could disobey God in a knowing fashion. He had too much honor and integrity and faith for that. See, Joseph is not a minimal figure in your nativity set. He's one of the most courageous men in all the Bible, man. He knew what kind of life he was going to walk into the moment he said yes to God. And he walked straight into it because he valued obedience over his own name and honor. You and I are not faced with that predicament right now. But we will have to answer the question, will I obey God or not, multiple times in our lives too. You're going to be put in a difficult situation at some point or another. It may not be as difficult as Joseph's, but nonetheless, it'll be difficult. And you're going to have to decide, do I obey God or do I live with the knowledge of what I, I could have chosen? Right? It might cost you a job. It might cost you relationships. It might cost you or alter the course of your own life. Whoever said following God was easy in the first place, right? I mean, obeying God is not easy. There's a reason why Jesus is going to say in Matthew 7, hey, the way to God's kingdom, it's really narrow and the road's difficult and only a few people ever find it. Are the few people who find it really special? No, they just chose to obey God. And with every obstacle and every challenge and every difficulty that came their way, they dug in their heels and they said, dude, come hell or high water, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep following and obeying God. It'll cost me. It'll put me at a disadvantage. It might bring trouble on me, but I'm going to keep my gaze fixed on what's eternal and forever. And I'm going to follow God no matter what. There are many things we can do for God, but in the end, what God desires above all else, yeah, it's love, but it's also obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, What's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now that's an Old Testament context, but the idea is that even above worship, God desires obedience, that we listen and follow him. 
Isn't that what every parent wants from their kid? I think that's the number one complaint that parents have, you know? My kids never listen to me, right? You know, we can share uh, that, that as parents. God can share in that too. You know, we want people to listen and obey. Well, God wants the same thing for you to listen and to obey. And while obedience to God may take us down difficult roads, it always ends with an eternal reward by choosing to obey God in the face of great difficulty. Joseph cemented his legacy. He followed in the footsteps of other great leaders, not because they aspired to be great, but because they obeyed God. Guys like Abraham, who obeyed God and left his own country and had no idea where he was going, but he obeyed God. He becomes the father of Israel and the spiritual father of every follower of Jesus. Moses obeys God even in his 80s and goes back to Egypt to lead Israel out of slavery. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they obey God and they, they should have died excruciating deaths, but God saves them and he elevates their positions of authority in the Babylonian Empire. Esther obeys God. God and saves the Jewish race. When you choose to obey God, even in the face of difficulty, you follow in these footsteps, but you also follow in the footsteps of Christ as well. He had to come face to face with a difficult decision, just like Joseph did. On the night that he was betrayed, he sank to his knees in a garden under so much stress that he was actually sweating blood. The capillaries near the sweat glands burst and blood and sweat mixed together. He had no desire to die. He knew the horror of what lay ahead less than 24 hours. And he was begging God for a way out, saying, Lord, hey, take this away from me. And I wonder if in that moment, on that night, if he recalled a story that perhaps his mom had told him growing up. And maybe she had told him about Joseph and how he risked everything for them and how he had so much faith and honor and integrity and how he obeyed God in the midst of great difficulty. And I wonder if that story came to his mind as Jesus stood up and walked towards the soldiers who were coming to arrest him. I wonder if the story helped him build the courage to obey God even to the point of death on a cross. See, I'm convinced that Joseph's obedience is his legacy. And it may have had one of the greatest impacts on Christ growing up. You know, Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and all the people. You don't think Joseph had a huge role in helping shape Jesus? Like he's one of the best examples for us to look to when making the decision to obey God, knowing this, that our obedience might cost us, that it might lead us to some difficulty. But in the end, it'll all be worth it. Maybe you're watching or listening here today, man, you feel the same kind of conviction. You're like, hey, you know what? I haven't quite obeyed God like, you know, like Joseph. And the good news is that it's never too late to change. You can make the decision to follow and obey God today. Whatever it is that God might be leading you to do, whatever it is He might be calling you to go, you can obey. It's actually all in your hands. You gotta pray about it, let's go do it. But what I wanna do is pray for you that you'll have the courage to do it. Have the courage to obey, even though there's unknowns and challenges that lie ahead. May you have the honor and integrity and obedience of Joseph in your decision to follow and obey God in all that you do. So, Father, I thank you for Joseph. I thank you for his story. Though we know so little about him, God, we can surmise enough to know that Joseph was a man of integrity and honor, that he was a man of courage. He was a man who understood obedience to our Lord. He went through a lot. He traveled a difficult road. The decision to obey in his circumstance was not an easy one, but it was the right one. And he's an excellent example for us to look to on what it means to obey God, even when the cost might be great. 
And I pray, Lord, this morning for uh, all those folks who are out there right now, who are listening, who are watching right now, wherever they happen to be, maybe, maybe you're calling them to step up and, and, and to make a big move. Maybe, God, you're calling them to reach out to somebody they've not reached out to before, Lord. Maybe you're calling them to, to go somewhere, God, that they haven't, they've never been before. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're calling or asking them to do, but for some folks who are, who are watching and listening right now, man, obedience is on the table. And they know, they have a choice. Do I obey God or not? Do I follow God or not here? And, and, and it's an agonizing decision they're having to make because they know there's going to be challenges. They know there's going to be difficulty. God, there might be a lot of unknowns that are out there for them. And I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage today to obey. Give them the courage that Joseph had to obey and to follow you, Lord. May they never look back or second guess, but firmly and confidently, God, walk forward into what you're calling them to do into where you're calling them to go, God, knowing that their obedience to you will also result in great reward because at the end of that narrow and difficult path that we're called to follow, there is eternity. There is the kingdom of God and all the blessings and promises that come with it, man. There is that reward. And so I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage to keep moving forward. And I thank you for what you're going to do in and through each individual today who responds to that, who says, God, I'm going to obey you. No matter what I'm facing, I'm going to obey you like Joseph. I'm going to, I'm going to take that mantle that Joseph had. I'm going to walk in that obedience, Lord. And I pray for favor and blessing upon each person who does that here today. We thank you for what you're going to do, for what you already done. We give you the praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, so glad you could join us here today. If you prayed along with us here, if you ask God to give you courage to obey, hey, let us know what's been going on in your life. With that, let us know how that turns out too. Hey, pastor, I obeyed God and I started moving forward with, with my obedience and here's what God did for me. I want to hear about it. Hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click share your story and that way we can hear about your story and what God is doing in and through your life. No matter where you're watching or listening from here today, man. It is so great to have been uh, given the privilege to speak with you today, wherever you happen to be. I hope you learned something today. I hope you were challenged today. I hope that you look at Joseph, too, in a different light moving forward, okay? Next week, we'll, we'll touch on the shepherds. We'll kind of wrap up our Christmas cards talks with the shepherds here right before Christmas. If you're local, I just want to invite you, be a part of this service with us on the 20th uh, Radiant uh, Christmas at Radiant Church. I got it mixed up for a moment. Christmas at Radiant Church. December 20th, right here in Seneca. We are four miles from Clemson University, so if you're in the Clemson area, I want you to come on out as well. Hey, it's going to be a great service. Our kids are going to have a blast. They're going to have a great Christmas celebration, all kinds of treats and games and things, and we're going to have fun here too. We're going to have a place for you to take family pictures with your family here right before Christmas. We're going to have hot chocolate bars. We're going to have all kinds of fun things that we're going to do. Christmas ought to be fun, right? I think it ought to be fun. And so the 20th, you don't want to miss Christmas at Radiant on the 20th. Be here if you can, if you're local. If you're not local, hey, listen, join with us and participate from wherever you happen to be. Watch us online that day. Uh, but again, if you're local in the area, we look forward to seeing you with us on December 20th at 10 a.m., Christmas at Radiant. Hey, have an amazing rest of your day wherever you're watching or listening from, and we'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com. 
or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.